on this episode of the Sacred Playgrounds podcast, we're going to get both a little bit political and a little bit historical. We're going to talk about how the roots of camp, the beginnings of camp, were rooted in some of our democratic ideals and processes. And as always, we're going to talk about what that means for outdoor ministry today. Welcome to the Sacred Playgrounds Podcast, where we dive deeply into theology, research, and practical wisdom for camps, retreat centers, and other key ministry spaces. I'm your host, Jared Randell, camp enthusiast and part of the Sacred Playgrounds team. This podcast features Dr. Jake Swanson, a scholar and practitioner who's helping us all think more deeply about outdoor ministries. Wonder with us what God might have in store at your Sacred Playground. Hey, welcome to the playground, everyone. Jake, my friend, it is the end of the year, right? So this is like the time when we do, like we're recording this in in December of 21. And this is, I mean, we're starting to work toward New Year. So this is like our time where we start reflecting and kind of year in review. So I'm curious, are you like an, an evening news guy? Like, do you keep current on what's going on, especially as we reflect over these last couple? Are you like an evening news? Are you a newspaper? Do you uh, listen to podcasts for your news? How do you keep current on what's going on? Yeah, I'm a little bit of a news junkie, uh, especially recently. I I do watch the evening news and I have some go-to news sites where I try to get different perspectives. I do listen to podcasts, but not usually for the news. Um, Well, actually, I I listen to NPR and stuff when I'm driving, but um, and then I also read the local paper. So yeah, I I get news from I try to make sure I get news from multiple sources. That's the wise way to do it, I hear, right? So um, you said especially lately, what, what, have you been, what have you been noticing lately? What's been piquing your interest in the news lately? Yeah, so politics has been very interesting to me lately, um, and I think that's been true for a lot of folks. Um, but I've really been delving into um, politics after the, the election of Trump in 2016. And trying to figure out how did this happen? Uh, what does this mean for us here in the United States? What does it mean for my community? What does it mean for the world? Um, how are people being convinced of certain things? Um, and so that's been one of the things that I've really been interested in following in the news. Lots of us did that, right? Like, especially then, one of the, you know, silver linings of, of if people have been happy or annoyed or angry or whatever we've been feeling since then for these past five or six years or so. And we talked a little bit about um, the idea of public discourse and what's gone on in public discourse a few episodes ago. But lots of us dove in for, whether it's the first time or at least way more than we had before, right? Because because it seemed different, right? And we could almost see that that there was something different happening there. So yeah, that's interesting. Even down to the bedrock of... And, and where we're going to get a little bit today, down to the bedrock of our democracy. Yes, absolutely. And that's, that's kind of one of the key themes is that democracy is in peril. Or, you know, a question maybe, uh, is democracy in peril? You sure. know, because some people don't see it that way. Um, but certainly I do. Um, and a lot of political experts do. And, you know, I was just, you know, following the news this week. 
and Pope Francis was speaking in Athens. Um, and that was like last Saturday. And he was talking about democracy, you know, in the birthplace of democracy, Athens. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the quotes that he that he had, uh, I got it here somewhere. Um, we cannot avoid noting with concern how today and not only in Europe, we are witnessing a retreat from democracy. This idea that Ooh. we're retreating from democracy itself. And he, he goes on to say democracy requires participation and involvement on the part of all. Consequently, consequently, it demands hard work and patience. It is complex, whereas authoritarianism is peremptory and populism's easy answers appear attractive. And so slamming this move towards populism, this move towards authoritarianism, um, and really upholding the tenets of democracy, um, and this from the Pope, which is really interesting because a lot of times people think of the Pope as, you know, an authoritarian figure in the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. um, And yet um, the papacy has helped uh, promote democracy, certainly in recent years. Um, a lot of folks look at uh, Pope John Paul II as one of the, the key figures that helped uh, bring down communism and the Soviet mm-hmm. Union. Um, and so um, to, hear the, to hear the Pope talk about it that way is really interesting, and I think interesting from a Christian perspective. Um, and we've heard it from other religious leaders as well, the importance of democracy, um, specifically democracies. Um, reliance on equality um, and demanding to hear the voices of the marginalized. Um, that is something that democracy does. This idea of equality before the law, um, just because you're from the ruling class or just because you're rich or just because you are whatever, doesn't mean you have more authority than someone else. Um, and so um, promoting these things is something that, that, that Christians really have come to value. Yeah, this is interesting in the church right now, right? Because I mean, we've had at our church, right, at my at my day job church, I've I've had conversation with folks who haven't come back. Right? We 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 started back in person a few months ago, and and like almost every church, there's somewhere between thirty and fifty percent that have come back, and uh, some of those uh, will come back, and some of those have left. And I've had a few conversations with the folks that have left, and some of the reason that they uh, have left is is the phrase has almost always come up in those we wanted politics left at the door wow right? so they said they said they didn't want politics to come into the church right because our, our particular congregation um I, I would not say we've got a clear clear political bend but we talk about what's going on in the world right now and we wonder what is going on like what god is doing where god's moving how Jesus is present in current events in the world, which at its root is what politics is talking about, right? How we, how we deal with those, with those things. And so it's interesting to hear that, that folks were like, no, I wanted that left at the door. Like we reacted when George Floyd was murdered, right? And we brought food and we brought things up to those neighborhoods after riots and whatever it might be, right? We, we reacted and we connected with those things. All of those reactions to some felt like, engaging in politics and we're not supposed to do that i wanted that left at the door it's so it's so odd i mean in in the one sense i mean christians have always participated in politics right you know and that jesus was crucified um as a political figure Mm -hmm. you know um the king of the jews Mm -hmm. um anti-roman um and so he was always speaking out in terms of uh speaking towards authority and christians throughout the centuries have done the same thing What's interesting here in the in the United States, I mean, 
the, the church has always been participating in politics as well. Um, but trying not to take a political stance of one party versus the other has mm -hmm. been very important. And in today's society, it becomes really challenging because we have a whole wing of one of the parties moving towards this ultra populism, um, even anti-democratic uh, way system of thinking. Um, and that becomes really dangerous. And so when when that becomes associated with, oh, now you are being ultra progressive or you're being you know, you're supporting Democrats instead of Republicans rather than saying, no, we're supporting democracy and our Republican form of government. Um, that becomes really challenging. And so that's where some listeners might even, you know, recoil at this, you know, um, is there really an assault on democracy? Um, and so that's an open debate right now. But one of the great things about living in a democratic society is we can have an open debate about this. And Amen. we can, we can, we can bring up different points of view and come to the table together. And the real challenge that I'm seeing right now in our churches, in our society, is that people are saying, no, your viewpoint doesn't matter or your viewpoint is evil um, and not even listening to one another, mm -hmm. shutting things down and promoting lies over the truth. Um, and democracy really relies on education. Um, it, it relies on um, People having access to information, and that's why these authoritarian regimes are so uh, scared about democracy, because they want to control the information. And so I don't know if you've heard, but uh, President Biden is, is doing this summit for democracy. Um, and so he's, he's, he's welcoming you know, leaders from 100 plus different democratic countries, and they're doing this summit, and it's online. Um, but uh, China and Russia have been trolling this. And have been saying, oh, democracy doesn't really work or your form of democracy doesn't really work. And China's ruling party claiming that their form of democracy, as they call it, is better than the others. Um, and this yeah. becomes really problematic, you know, as we say, OK, who is winning the war of words here? The war of ideas, um, because democracy is dependent on ideas. It's dependent on uh, education and, and people buying into the importance of equality under the law, of the rule of law, of the importance of political freedom, that we're not going to lock up our political prisoners. And so chance of lock her up, lock her up, really fly in the face of one of the core democratic ideals. They, we don't do that. They do that in places like Russia and like China right now under these current regimes. And those are things that we as Christians, as Americans, uh, should be fighting against ideologically. And so it's a promotion of ideas. Um, and that's where I really think camp comes in, you know, um, in terms of camp being uh, an educational ministry of the church. Hmm. Fundamentally, it is an mm -hmm. educational ministry of the church. That's where you might categorize it. Um, and so we're, we're instructing young people. We're, we're raising them in um, the knowledge of the faith, and in the knowledge of how we do things in the church. And one of the things that we do is we promote democratic principles. And we do that from a faith perspective. That comes back to the roots of camp, right? Like that comes back kind of historically to where camp came from, how camp started in the first place, right? Absolutely. And this is, this is so fun. So I, I write about this in the book a little bit, but, but I love talking about this because it's so fascinating. So camp, camp really uh, came to being in the 1880s. 
Um, and so there were there were some experiments before that, but the first real camp um, popped up in the early 1880s. And one of the, the camps that's often considered the first camp because of the way that um, it was systematized and written about and emulated later on, Camp Chakura in New Hampshire. And Camp Chakura was founded by um, this Dartmouth graduate, or not graduate, dropout. He was a Dartmouth dropout. He was like 20 years old. <laughs> name was Ernest Balch. And he was the son of an Episcopal minister. And so he had this religious upbringing and he was very privileged, you know, went to Dartmouth, but then dropped out and ended up going up to New Hampshire on this lake, Lake Asquam. It was this resort lake. And this is this is the time um, after the Civil War. It's the 1880s um, where the summer vacation is becoming popular. Um, going out into nature is becoming popular, you know, like uh, think Henry David Thoreau, John mm -hmm. Muir. John Burroughs, those sorts of folks are, are writing at this time. And uh, he goes up on this lake and he goes out and he finds this island in the middle of the lake. And he and some friends start building this structure on this island because they're going to make this camp. And <laughs> this guy comes by in a rowboat and he says, what you guys doing? And he said, oh, we're just, you know, we're, we're going to start this camp. They, they thought it was like undiscovered territory or something. Turns out that this guy in the rowboat actually owned the property. <laughs> And so, so they were thinking they were like in this untouched wilderness. Of course they weren't, you know, they're, they're in, they're in uh, central New Hampshire, you know, somebody owns this land. Right. And so Ernest your Balls, frontier again, is actually mine. Thanks. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right. And so, I mean, you can imagine, right. These are these, we've worked with college kids a lot. You can imagine this happening. Yeah. This is the ambition. <laughs> the ambition is beautiful. And so, and so what does Balch do? He buys the, he buys the property for $40. So he just wow. says, okay, no problem. I got the money right here. Right. You know, <laughs> so he's, he's part of this, uh, you know, a uh, new England elite in some ways, uh, Dartmouth graduate, mm -hmm. of course. And so he buys the property, starts this camp. 1881 is their first summer and they only have a few kids. Um, but they, what they do, the way that they structure the, the camping program is around democratic principles and democratic ideals. And so most of the, the kids that come to camp are rich white kids. You know, they're privileged. They, they've never worked a day in their life. They come to camp and they're all equals. They have, um, they have uniforms, so they all dress the same. And their social status doesn't make them better or worse than anybody else. Um, and they have to work uh, for... Um, the things that they get at camp. And so they actually get an allowance and they learn how to barter and they elect leaders and they, they, they build some structures. They built this chapel. That's beautiful. It's actually still there. Um, I was able to, wow. I was able to travel out there and I, I kayaked out to the Island and found it. And the chapel that the boys built is still there and they still do worship services on Sunday in the summer. So really cool, beautiful place. Um, uh, go ahead and visit it and, and go to a church service. But just this, this beginning of the camping a project uh, focused on democratic decision making and democratic community, um, and, and of course they were. It was a religious group um, that uh, that was there at the camp. Um, it wasn't. We wouldn't call it a Christian camp today because it wasn't founded by a church. Um, but religious teachings were were definitely um, part of the curriculum, um, and and so this was emulated at different camps um, there on Lake Asquam in, in New Hampshire, but also around the country. Um, and the, the camping movement really started as this educational movement for young people, mostly privileged young boys. Um, 
but trying to instill in them the importance of democracy, um, the importance of um, equality, um, and treating other people with respect, the importance of hard work, and the importance of caring for the environment. Uh, and so, um, actually, uh, another historical piece that a lot of people don't know is, um, you know, at at uh, at camp, what did you call your cabin leaders? The counselors. The counselors, exactly. Now, counselors, we spell it the way that we spell like a psycho a psychotherapist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as if they're they're somehow counseling these young kids. Well, the word counselor actually comes from the word counsel with an I. It was Camp Asquam, which was a, a sister camp to Camp Chakura, uh, founded just a couple years later. And they had this council where these young kids were elected to make decisions for the entire camp. And when you sat on the council, they would, they would you know, sit in a circle and make these decisions for the camp. It was a democratic decision making. And so to be a counselor was to be someone that was elected to the council, someone that sat on the council and made decisions on behalf of the rest of the camp. Huh. I was today years old when I found that out. <laughs> So yeah, it's a, it's a part of the history. It's a part of the history, and um, and it has continued today. Um, and so um, at camps uh, around the country, uh, you can really see um, some of these influences of democracy into the camp setting and democratic decision making. How are the campers participating in the decision making of the camp? And so I visited camps where they'll actually have a council similar to Camp Asquam at the at the very beginning of camping, where um, for for example, one of the camps. In the morning, um, each cabin group will elect a representative to go sit on the morning council session. And in that morning council session, they, they will have instructions from their cabin mates of what activities they want to do for the day. And then they'll discuss back and forth about w- which groups are going to do which activities at what times. And so there's negotiation because not everybody can go down to the lake. Not everybody can go canoeing. Not everybody mm-hmm. can go to archery. Um, and so... Um, when are we going to do this during the day? And they negotiate um, and make decisions. Uh, uh, and the campers themselves get to participate in this decision-making process and actually make the schedule for the day. I love that. I wonder what happens when they can't decide. Do they leg wrestle? They do not. They don't. Good, they, good call. They, uh, they actually have deliberation. Gotta work through it. Yeah. And they have compromise and give and take. You know, they, yeah. don't, they don't just storm out of the room. You know, they, they, they sit down and they learn about what it means to make decisions together. And that's, that's part of the camp process um, is, is kids learning how to express themselves, how to participate in decision making, um, and how to manage their emotions when they don't get their way. All those things are so you know, foundational to our, to our raising, right? And, and that's, where, that's where it meets the road when we talk about these experiences are... We're, ta- we're raising these youth and young adults, right? They're, they're being brought up, and it's not uh, just about, you know, teaching them X, Y, Z about religion. It's not about indoctrinating them with X, Y, Z religion. We're talking about, about life and the stuff that matters in life and how they're going to work with people and the, the biblical most important things, right? These relationships with God and these relationships with each other. That's what Jesus laid out, right, as the, as the important commandments. So, uh, so for that to come to life at camp is good. Uh, let's take a break for a minute and, and talk a little bit uh, when we get back about 
what that looks like today, what some of this looks like today. You gave us that example um, about about how how some of that matters. I, I'm curious about camp's role in uh, in in Lang Foundation as we bring these kids up in uh, you know feeding into these democratic ideals and the experiences that we're creating. So we'll be right back. The Effective Camp Project has helped Christian camps across the country tell their story in a new way to parents and donors. You know that camp makes a difference because you see it with your own eyes. But we need reliable data to convince those who are skeptical and to help us identify areas for improvement. Now is your chance to gather data from your own camp. Our team of experienced researchers works with you to create custom surveys for your campers and parents. We compare your results to data from dozens of other Christian camps to show where your camp really shines and to target areas for program development. In addition to data reports and in-depth consultations, you will receive a communications toolkit to share your unique results with your audiences. Visit EffectiveCamp.com to learn more. All right, everyone, welcome back from the break. Okay, Jake, before we get any further, um, we got to talk about this word camp for a minute, right? This is a podcast where we talk about camp, but our context has always been talking about um, these these Christian or Bible camps, but that's not the only way the word camp is used. That's absolutely right. I mean, so if you think of the word camp, it's not just summer camp that we're talking about. Um, actually, when I was doing the research for my dissertation and I would you know, do search for articles on the word camp, the thing that came up the most was concentration camp. And that's a different mm. paradigm as we think about, okay, what is camp? What is done Truth. at camp? And sometimes people view from the outside, um, even summer camp as a type of concentration camp or perhaps a boot camp, another term that is often uh, used with the word camp in it. Um, and you think of a concentration camp as a, as a place of oppression, um, as a place where where, where people are, are, are huddled together um, of a certain ethnic group um, and separated from society. And that's not what we want to do at camp. We don't want to separate groups. We want groups to come together. We want people of different perspectives meeting together. So it's not just, you know, if, if we have a Lutheran camp or a Methodist camp, we don't just want the good Lutherans or the good Methodists there. We want people with different perspectives as well. So a lot of times our camps are ecumenical. Mm -hmm. um, as they welcome people who maybe didn't grow up in the church. Um, and that can be a wonderful environment to, to welcome them into and, and be a welcoming place rather than an exclusive place or a place where people are separated or set aside as, 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 as outcasts from society that a concentration camp might be. Um, and then, then the other word boot camp um, is often used in the military, you know, as you kind of learn what it means to, you know, follow the commands of your uh, military commander. Um, and this is not what we want either. And, and, and sometimes Christian camps are viewed this way as sort of a, a Christian boot camp. Um, that's not what we want. Uh, we're not looking for Christian boot camp. We don't need Christian soldiers. We need disciples. We need disciples that are seeking to humbly follow the way of Jesus. You know, knowing that what we do is not always the right thing. We're not always going to get it right, but we follow a loving and forgiving God. So at camp, we really need places where participants are given space to question, given space to doubt, um, 
It's one of the key questions that we ask at the end of the week in our, in our camper surveys. Did you feel safe to express your doubts about God and faith? The goal then is not conversion per se at our camps, but it's identity formation. It's welcoming people into the body of Christ, surrounding them with Christian community. And this provides the space for faith formation and space for identity exploration and things like that. Yeah, that's interesting when we, you know, when we find connections between those words, because of course we're, we're, we're not looking to do something extreme. And even some of those things you mentioned, like hit the media, hit, you know, movies or, or shows or documentaries that didn't paint these things in the best light. But when you think about, um, when you think about what's happening underneath there and that idea of, uh, of welcome in and, and share ideas, and especially that point about safety versus segregation versus indoctrination or some of those words that have been thrown around sometimes and can't becomes the most important things like, like a safe place, like a participatory place, like we learned in the research. And that's what democracy is about, right? It's about welcoming different perspectives. It's about listening to different perspectives. It's about participation. And so when we talk about camp as participatory, we want the young people participating in the process, not just sitting there and hearing from some experts what they're supposed to do, what they're supposed to think. We need a faith that is reflective, a faith that asks questions, a faith that welcomes the other. Christianity is not an authoritarian religion. No matter how much the critics want to portray it as such, ours mm-hmm. is the God who includes the creation itself in the act of creating. God calls us into mm-hmm. relationship, not out of fear, but out of love. And so we see it oftentimes in the church, you know, the church is, becomes divided. Um, it becomes, it's full of disagreements. But rather than excommunicating one another, we need to sit down and share communion with one another. We need camps where liberals and conservatives can come together and worship God side by side. Amen. So at its foundation, camp is about participation, and that is, that is the bottom line root of democratic process. Right? It's, you, you don't think about these things uh, together, but yeah, at their roots, um, we get to do things together and share things together. So what about now, right? We talked some about the history. What does this look like now? What can this look like now for camp these days? Yeah, again, I, I think that democracy is in peril right now. And I think we need to recognize that. Um, and we in the camping world can really do something about that, particularly as mm-hmm. we enter into an election year, particularly as we see um, our politics so divided and, and people using certain issues as, as litmus tests, basically, about whether you're in or out. I mean, you know, think of all the issues. I mean, gun control, for sure, abortion, um, whether or not you wear a mask during a pandemic. These become litmus tests of where you stand politically. Um, and then based on your viewpoint on one issue, you might get shunned by a whole community. And so at camp, being able to model this coming together, being able to model the dialogue, respective dialogue, um, so that um, I'm not being excluded because of one viewpoint. And this means, this is difficult, right? When we think about this on the ground, you know, because people on the liberal side of things want to exclude folks who are part of the Trump movement and are on the Trump train, right? And people on the conservative end of things or on the, the, the political right and now the religious right, 
um, want to exclude people who are ultra progressive or ultra liberal or are the Bernie or bust folks. Right. And so we, be, we, we have these, 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 these fringes and, and both of those can be considered populist movements trying to rile everybody up and, and get them behind a, a certain uh, social ideology. Um, and we need those folks to be able to come together. We can't be excommunicating our neighbors. And so at camp, I think we can really model dialogue. We can model forgiveness. Um, we can model learning from different perspectives and that it's okay to disagree with one another. And we can still sit down and worship together. We can still come to the table together. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, again, you see it on both the, the right and the left right now. And so, um, on the, on the left, you see today this, this idea of cancel culture, you know, if you don't have the right ideas, then your very humanity is called into question. That's what cancel culture is about at its core is canceling somebody's humanity. You are no longer a person in our society. Um, and we really need the participation of all. And so we can model participation at camp and we can model respectful dialogue. And I think that's really what we need to do. And so, you know, I have political perspectives and some of them are very strong and I could let them all out right now. And that, that's not really what this episode's about. Um, what I'm trying to emphasize is the democratic process itself and how we as Christians fit into that. Um, and that's specifically in caring for our neighbor, for loving and respecting people of, of other perspectives and welcoming them to the table. There's a place at the table for you. I love that it just lets camp be camp, that camp just gets to do what it does, right? We create spaces for people to share experiences focused on Jesus. And those are things we can do together from whatever kind of messy uh, spot on whatever line we are. So, um, so let's, let's get a little tangible now, right? So what can, what can we do to put this stuff into place, right? If, the, if, if there's a camp leader listening right now and they're going, okay, yeah, that's, that's powerful. I love that that's at the root of what camp was in camp maybe uh, has the opportunity to be, how do we put that in place? Two main things that I think. Number one, meaningful participation. The democratic process is about participation. Populism seeks to get people all riled up on one perspective and then exclude other people. And um, authoritarianism seeks to make people feel like they're powerless, that their voice doesn't matter. And so when we encourage meaningful participation in the camp environment, we encourage participation in the democratic process. My voice matters. Um, we need every camper to realize that. How do we do that? We do that through our programming. We do that through the way that we treat the campers, um, you know, not as people that are shuffled around from place to place, but that have, that have meaningful participation in the experience itself and that are able to dialogue back and forth about, you know, what does this mean? How can I, how can I um, make my voice heard? How can I get up front? How can I participate? How can I lead? You know, giving those opportunities. And camp really does that well, but not all camps do that equally. And so how can you encourage more camper participation? How can you encourage more decision-making among your camp staff and encourage them in that and then talk about the consequences of those things? And so some of those things can happen as simple as like on the challenge course or something like that. 
a decision that it doesn't get our group through, our group has to start all over again. There are consequences to that, but we can process those things in the moment. Say this isn't a reason to stop participating or stop making your voice heard. It's a, it's a reason to maybe listen to others. Um, but we want to encourage participation um, in all things. And so um, the thing that I encourage uh, program directors to do, camp counselors to do, is to always consider the question, can a camper do this? Can a camper do this? The more mm-hmm. that they are empowered to lead, offer their perspective, um, the more we're encouraging them in this um, process of participation and the, the idea of uh, making their voice heard um, and not just at camp, but out in the world and in society too. So that's one meaningful participation, right? So the second one is valuing different perspectives, teaching people to value different perspectives. And so that's again, the dialogue. And so being able to sit down and dialogue with one another and listen to people who disagree and, and, and making, making space for that even when there are potentially hurtful things that are coming out at camp, we can process those things. It's not like we have a half an hour or an hour to just do it. And then we have to leave. We have time and space to do this and to talk about the consequences of our beliefs, of our actions. And so it's not a matter of just shutting somebody down and telling them what they should believe. It's hearing the perspective, talking about different perspectives and working to convince people. And that's the educational thing. That's that's where I talked about at camp as an educational ministry of the church. So those two things, meaningful participation um, and teaching people to value different perspectives that not only my voice matters, but other voices matter too, even when I disagree. And I'm not always going to get my way. You know? Oh, man. That's not how it works. No, that's part of the democratic process, right? You know, people vote and then there's an outcome and it's, it's not 100%, right? And so rather than saying, oh, my guy didn't win or my gal didn't win, um, it's going on to the next one and saying, okay, this is what happened this time. Now we can keep participating rather than saying, oh, process doesn't work. No, it, it, it does work. You know, your, your candidate just lost. So keep participating. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, amen. So, uh, so as you're listening, folks, here's what would be fun to hear, right? Whether it's uh, out on Facebook or, or send us an email or something. Um, what what have you tried? Like, what's a thing when you think about your 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 program or something that you've seen in your camp or maybe church, um, where you where you've you've built this in, right? Where there's a chance for for owning those things, because that idea might be really valuable to someone else. Share that. Uh, send us an email or send us a, a comment um, or a message there. One and two, what would you like to try? Right? What's what's one of the things you heard? either here or from someone that you'd like to try something that you might consider embedding into your experience, into your program that could be, um, that could be valuable to um, letting these things become, become foundational values of how you do your particular camp. So send us those messages. We'd love to hear it. And we will see you next time on the sacred playgrounds podcast. Thanks for listening to the Sacred Playgrounds podcast. This episode was produced by me, Jared Rendell, and featured Dr. Jake Sorensen, lead researcher and founder at Sacred Playgrounds, LLC. Our theme music was written and performed by Taylor Wilson. You can find his original songs wherever you get your music. Learn more and connect with the Sacred Playgrounds team at sacredplaygrounds.com.